Well, good morning. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Trust Issues. And we're looking at what prevents us from trusting God. I know some of you are hoping that maybe we would get into some marital discussions and maybe some workplace discussions, but those aren't the trust issues we're looking at this week. We're looking at what prevents us from trusting God. The last week, we looked at money and how the prevent us from truly trusting God. Today is Pentecost, and this morning we have a text about the promise and work of God's Holy Spirit. As Jesus prepares his disciples for the time when he will no longer be with them, he tells them that it's important for him to go away so that the Holy Spirit, the the helper, may come to them. Now, throughout John's gospel, Jesus has been talking about the importance of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3, he tells Nicodemus that he must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. He must be born of the Spirit. And in John chapter 14, Jesus says that the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because the world neither sees him nor knows him. What Jesus is saying is basically that the world has trust issues with God because the world cannot know the spirit. They cannot trust him. But friends, I'm here to tell you that if you are in Christ, you can know him. You have him and you can trust him. The Apostle Paul writes that the defining characteristic of every Christian is that they have received the spirit who is from God. If you have put your faith in Jesus, then the defining characteristic of who you are is that you have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Helper in you. So why is it then that many Christians, including myself, often will revert to trusting in my own strength rather than trusting in the power of God given in the Holy Spirit. We've got trust issues. Now, to illustrate why I think this, I'd like to read you why I think this is. I'd like to read you a book. It's a short book. Don't worry. Um, We're just going to start right here at the beginning. Uh, Just kidding. And that was the day that Trevor filibustered his way through church. That's not the book. Oh... Nobody ever came back. Um, Here is the book. It is mercifully short. Can I read it to you? I know you can't see the pictures unless you're up close or you have binoculars. And it's called, I Can Do It Myself. When it's time to get dressed, I pick out my clothes. If I'm feeling stuffy, I blow my own nose. If I get hungry, I take a big bite. When it's time to sleep, I turn out the light. I can ride, I can hide, I can reach a high shelf. Hey, look at me, I can do it myself. The end. (laughs) My next career will be a preschool teacher. Right now we're going to have nap time, so go ahead and roll out your mats. Um, Actually, that's a terrible thing to say in the middle of a sermon. Go ahead, just get ready, go to sleep. Right? I thought this book was... Appropriate for two reasons. Because I think it illustrates two features of why we 
have a difficult time trusting God. The first is that we think we can do it ourselves. The second thing is, frankly, most of what we do in our life, we do for our own glory. The little girl, hey, look at me. I can do it myself. At the heart of this attitude is this. I don't need any help. And this is all over the scriptures. All the way back at the beginning when Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan to be like God. They were saying, I don't need you, God. When sin left to its own devices, God comes down and he sees that even the human heart, the human motivations, the human imagination had become completely corrupted and evil by sin. And in our Old Testament passage, the builders of the Tower of Babel, right? They were determined to make a name for themselves and not make a name for God. And by the time we get to the New Testament, Paul says this, everyone, all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were born, friends, into a world dominated by self-reliance, self-gratification, and self-glory. We are intensely and ruggedly individualistic, and we proclaim with and without our words, I can do it myself. The world dominated by sin has taught us from the moment we were born that we don't need any help. And the problem with this is the problem that you know deep down. You don't, well, you don't say it, but you know it just under the surface. The problem with this is that this is a complete illusion. We all need help. And Jesus, what he's doing is he's telling the disciples, I'm trying to send you, I'm going to send you the ultimate helper. The illusion is both in our physical lives, we know it, and it is in our spiritual lives. I mean, just think about your physical life. We cannot make it through life depending solely on our own selves. I mean, have you ever asked someone for some wise counsel when you had a tough decision? You needed help. Have you ever needed some assistance with everyday responsibilities? You asked someone to babysit your kid or you borrowed a tool to do a home repair? Or on the flip side, if you have ever owned a pickup truck, you know this, that people are going to ask for help moving something. Right? Oh, hey, will you help me move? No, no. uh, Okay, yeah. You're moving all kinds of people, right? Have you ever needed some financial help? My mom needed a down payment for our first house. She borrowed it from her brother. Or you needed, or you've been asked to help somebody with a little bit of money to help fix their car. When I was in college, I had a, a job that paid me, it was a 1099 employee, which means that they didn't take taxes out of my paycheck, right? And I thought that was great. All the way up until April, when all of a sudden I realized that I still owed taxes. And I remember calling my sister, more so my sister remembers me calling her and complaining about this situation that I was in. And I said something like, we should have a progressive tax structure. This is wrong. And she said from the other end of the phone, Trevor, we do have a progressive tax structure. It just happens that you owe $1,500 under it. And so then I asked her, can I borrow $1,500? And and she did. I think I paid her back. Um, 
I'm pretty sure I did. I mean, she was just out of college. Um, Every person, everywhere, needs some help sometime. Yet our human tendency is to go it alone. We would rather be self-reliant than indebted to someone. And we do this not just in the world, but we do this with God. We continue to be self-focused and self-reliant even though God has given us infinite power, His power, His Spirit living in us. So how do we get from that reality, that situation, to the place where we can trust not in our own strength, but in God's? Friends, trusting lives begins with trusting minds. And it's here in John chapter 16 that Jesus is actually explaining what the Holy Spirit will do when he comes. Knowing, uh, that the whole, knowing what the Holy Spirit does is essential for you and me to trusting him. Because if you see him working and you see fruit in your lives, it will be easier to trust him more. Because you go, oh, look, that's what he said he was going to do. That's what he's doing. I can trust him with that, and I can then trust him with this. Now, Jesus is telling us what the Holy Spirit does. Now, if you read the New Testament, if you read the Bible, you'll know that there's much more that the Holy Spirit does. But he's giving us uh, kind of three specific things in this passage. And I want to point them out to you. The first thing that the Spirit does is the Spirit leads. It's there in verse 13. It's I think it's on the next slide. It begins this way. It says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Spirit leads you into the truth. If you want to find out the truth, if you want to know the truth, it is God's Holy Spirit who will help you find it. Apart from His help, both in the world and in the spiritual realm, you cannot discern what's true. Now this seems very timely to me right now, because in our world, the idea of truth has become increasingly subjective and increasingly controversial. Not just politically, but ethically and spiritually. Jesus is giving us the key to finding the truth. It is the Holy Spirit's power leading us. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is it explains. The Spirit explains. The reason the Spirit is able to guide us into all truth is that he explains what Jesus has said and done. Verse 13 continues in, uh, into 14. It says, the Spirit will not speak on his own authority, for he will take what is mine, Jesus says, and he will declare it to you. Just think about how important this is. None of us have walked personally with Jesus. We do not hear it direct, his words directly from him. But the Spirit continues the work to take the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did and make them known to us. This is really important. If, if you want to um, uh, know what God is saying to you, you need the Spirit's help to explain it. 
If you hear a sermon and somehow by God's grace we make a point that resonates in your heart, it's because God's Spirit did it. If you read a passage of Scripture and somehow your mind is open to the truth about God or your heart is encouraged or your your ethics are shaped to do what God wants, it's not that you or somehow brilliant. It's that the Spirit of God who He put in you helped you to understand. He explained it. This is essential for us who want to live life for Jesus. So the Spirit explains. The third thing is this. The Spirit convicts. This is uh, We find this in verse 8. Now, explicitly, what Jesus says is that the Holy Spirit will convict the world. He's making this differentiation. He's not talking uh, directly about the disciples. It's going to convict the world. Now, the word convict seems, you know, in our 21st century mind, we don't like that word. sounds very judgmental. But in the original Greek, there's some complexity to this word, convict. It means more than simply being found guilty. It means to expose some reality. It means to convince someone of something. And in our text, what he's saying is that the Spirit convicts and will show people and convince people of their sin and summon them to repentance in Christ. Now, here's the thing about what the Spirit is doing for the world. I am convinced of this, is that what the Spirit is going to do for the world, He's also going to do in our hearts and in you and me. He's going to do the same things in transforming us because we are being, uh, uh, we are being more sanctified as we go through life. So as we look at the three things that the Spirit convicts the world on, I just want you to think about how that might play out in your own life. The first thing we read, well, we read it in verse 8. And when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the first thing is the Spirit convicts us concerning sin. The world is wrong about Jesus, it says in verse 9. It's wrong because they have not believed him. Jesus is speaking specifically about the Jewish leaders who accused Jesus of being a sinner. When in fact, he was not the sinner. It was they who stood condemned before God. The Spirit will expose our human error so that we might not be under judgment for the Christian, but so that we might repent and turn and find forgiveness in Christ. The Spirit will reveal to you areas of your life, in your Christian life, that need to be gotten rid of. I didn't know all the things that I was doing that were damaging to me and to my relationships and severed uh, my uh, connection to Jesus when I first got serious about following Jesus. But over time, He's revealed them to me and He's led me to repentance. So the Spirit will convict us concerning sin. He also will convict the world concerning righteousness. The Holy Spirit will show people, will show you, that righteousness is not about acquiring merit. Righteousness before God depends on His, on, not on our efforts, but on Christ's atoning work on the cross. 
And the Spirit will affirm that to you. The Spirit will turn your thinking away from yourself and turn your thinking towards Jesus. And He will remind you time and again that your righteousness is not what you do. Your righteousness is in who you are, who you belong to, that you are Jesus that you are Jesus' child, or you are God's child. You are Jesus' redeemed and beloved. The third thing the Spirit convicts the world and convicts us of is concerning judgment. It's this, that at the heart of human sinfulness is the ultimate and unequivocal belief that I can do it myself. The world is going to tell, I mean, the Spirit is going to tell us What is true about judgment? See, in the world, if the world, if people in the world think at all about judgment, they think somewhat positively, right? They say, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I love my dogs. And, you know, I, I give a little bit of money to the people in need. I think in the balance sheet of my life, I will receive a favorable declaration from God. I don't want to see that balance sheet. I mean, if I'm honest, but that's what we think about judgment. And yet, according to what Jesus says in verse 11 is this, that judgment is the just condemnation and overthrow of Satan, of the ruler of the world. It is the just condemnation of all that Satan did. The temptation to to make ourselves like God in the garden. What Jesus is saying is that that judgment has taken place through what Jesus did on the cross. He has judged rightly and overthrown Satan and death. And the Spirit is going to remind us of that fact. Jesus, he sent you a helper. And this is why the, what the Holy Spirit does. And if you recognize that, You can be encouraged when you see him at work. So what do we do? How do we fully trust in God's strength and not our own? Corey Timboom, she was a Dutch Christian who rescued people, uh, Jews, out of Nazi Germany in World War II. She once said this. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust what you don't know will happen to the God that you do know. Never be afraid to trust the the questions of your life, entrust the questions of your life to the Holy Spirit who lives in you. You don't have to go far away. You just say, say, God, you've given me your Holy Spirit. Will you you lead me into all truth? Will you... uh, Explain what you're doing here. Will you help me to know how to honor you in this? Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And I wonder this morning, what's the place or the concern or the situation that you are having trouble trusting God in? Maybe it's a troubled kid or a broken relationship, uh, a difficult job or a, a move that you're considering. You can ask God's spirit to speak into that situation and then listen for him. 
As you read your scripture, look for answers that the Spirit might guide you into. And when you hear it, be encouraged and be obedient to what he's saying. Perhaps you're struggling with your place of significance or your identity. You'd rather make a name for yourself than give someone else credit. You know that it's damaging you and your relationships. And you can ask for the Spirit's power to help you know what's right and to do what's right and to be loving and humble. Or maybe you're being called to do something for Jesus. Some type of ministry. You're being called to care for someone or to, uh, to help someone in some way. And you either flat out don't want to do it or you don't feel like you have what it takes. Perhaps this morning he's calling you to trust your unknown future to the God that you know and you have. Friends, on that first Pentecost we heard about in Acts chapter 2 this morning, the Holy Spirit came down in power and he transformed the disciples' life forever. If you read the rest of Acts, they began to do things that they never would have done before. They were able to say things that they never could have understood before. Their lives were transformed by the power of God. And so can yours. He sent you a helper. Let's ask him to help. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you that you have not left us alone. In whatever we're going through, God, you promise that you are with us. If we have put our faith in you, you have made your home. Your Holy Spirit is in our hearts. Lord, would you help us to trust you? Father, if there's somebody here this morning who doesn't know that he has your spirit in them, I pray that you... uh, I pray that we would invite you in. If that's you, you can ask the Lord, say, Lord, come in. I need your help. And he will come in. He will make his home and he will give you his spirit and he will give you his power. Father, would you transform our community and also transform our world through your spirit working in us in Jesus name. Amen.